It's the Theonauts, episode 182. <laughs> the one <laughs> where the Theonauts forget what they're going to say. The Theonauts podcast. <laughs> Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's word. Hey, all you Theonaut heads out there, I'm David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. And together, we are... The, the Theonauts! Hey, you said it this time. I'm pretty proud of you. I did say it this time. I wasn't concentrating Hi. so much on what I was David. Hi, Jeremiah. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> so, you were totally <laughs> expecting me to stop recording on that intro. <laughs> you just kept going. I'm like, okay. It's like, no, I'm keeping that one. <laughs> that's a beautiful mistake right there yeah so Not even what i was gonna say i was gonna say the one where the theonauts are immortal just like truth because today we were talking oh man more uh anabaptists and there's an amazing guy that we're gonna be introduced to okay there? yes there was like a stuttery thing so uh to catch everybody up in case you didn't know we do the show uh over several hundred miles now and because because i had to go and leave david sorry but yeah but hey we'd rather do it this way than not at all right <clears throat> that's right we're still doing theonauts we're still theonauts theonauts till we die brother that's right so we are <laughs> uh dealing with sound issues and with internet connection issues so if jeremiah sounds like he's in a can then that's what's going on I'm I'm not literally in a giant can. Yeah, kind of like Oscar the Grouch. <laughs> I'm feeling grouchy. <laughs> Have you seen that SNL skit? Oh, you showed it to me. Yeah. <laughs> you were the guy that showed it to me. Yeah. The Joker, like Joker on Sesame Street. Right. Is, is the Oscar the Grouch. The Grouch. Brilliant. <laughs> How does that make you feel? Grouchy. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So how's your week been, David? It is um, going pretty good so far. Uh, I can't really complain. Um, it's been, you know, very busy at work uh, lately, but um, manageable this week. So, nice. Yeah. That's great. What about I've you? Been, I've been bored. <laughs> bored? We went to, it's a really cool thing. So, I don't know if you, any of you know, but my nephew Tucker has been battling cancer, cancer, and he's in remission completely now. Yeah, but, I don't uh, think along we... with battling cancer, cancer comes a ton of medical bills. Yeah, I don't so, think we've uh, talked about that at all on the show yet. No, we haven't. And so Tucker is in full remission; he's doing great. But last uh, Sunday night, we had a benefit for him, and his little Baptist church of eighty people. Um, in <clears throat> rural Kansas, raised twelve over twelve thousand dollars for his medical bills. Wow, that's amazing! I was just, 
I was just blown away. That's like that's like a car. There is a car <laughs> for, for Crusher. Nuts. That's pretty amazing. So uh props to uh what is it, Tawanda First Baptist Church of Tawanda. Y'all uh y'all rocked it and uh Tucker was blessed beyond comparison because of it. Pretty special. That is amazing. So how is he feeling these days now that he's um through he's with a doing lot of great. That he's uh he's like I said, he's in remission now. He has to be very careful. He's still his counts are down because of all the chemo and radiation he took. So he has to make sure that he doesn't get sick. He has to wear his mask everywhere he goes still. But his hair's growing back in. He's getting these wicked sideburns for a kid of fifteen. I'm pretty <laughs> impressed with him. So uh his dad and I uh are beardy people, and so it's gonna be interesting to see how much of a beard he's able to grow it's going to be fun yeah. but uh yep and he's a pretty awesome kid i'm 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 so um i'm just blessed to see how god is going to use this i personally believe that tucker is going to be a preacher one day or a pastor one day yeah and so this is my own <clears throat> personal feeling and so uh i think god's going to use this as a great story for his life yeah but well cool we'll see yeah so nice. <clears throat> oh, so I saw this thing on the on the internet today. You may have seen this, but let me see if I can pull it back up. Um, so it was Bible translations if they were Star Wars characters. Have you seen? Oh, really? Have you seen that? So hold on, let me guess. Yoda is the ESV. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. Of course, Yoda is the ESV. Let's jump in here and let's see if I can find it again. I had it pulled up on my phone and then. Blammo. Uh, I got a notification. It took me out. Blammo. Blammo. While you're looking it up, did you vote today? Oh, yeah. Can't you see my, my sticker on my... Yeah, it says I voted for Bernie. That's right. I yeah, mean, or feel the burn. Yeah. Something like that. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm all about this communist communism. You socialist commie. Yeah. So, um, I'm joking. That was a joke. Oh, really? Well, I don't know where it went. This is driving me crazy now. There's, it's, it's on a forum that's way too busy, way too much stuff on it. Um, but anyway, it was kind of funny. It was like the, um, uh, what was the, the one that I thought was really good was, um, okay, C3PO was um, New King. No, it was uh, the. Uh, Man, I can't. <laughs> That's okay. So let me get to some of the funny ones. So um, Qui Gon Jinn was the King James version. Yeah, because he's 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 the older guy that still has some wisdom to say, but you know he's he's not going to last sure. very long in the show. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh, I thought this was good. The message. Who? What Star Wars character do you think would be the message? Anakin Skywalker. How about Jar Jar Binks? It's <laughs> <laughs> a good message, Annie. You know, you know that it's saying something good, but you can't always understand it, and it's kind of tripping all over itself. <laughs> nice. <laughs> there's there's some good things in there, but you don't want to like trust it for everything. <laughs> so who was uh who was uh Obi Wan? Was that New King? Did you say that already? No, that? no, that uh, that one wasn't on there. Um, if you if you're if you're a reader of just the plain old Greek and Hebrew, that's R two D two and Chewbacca. Oh, that makes sense. 
Anyway, I wish I, I wish I hadn't, hadn't lost that because that was funny. But <laughs> but anyway, it was good. Um, yeah, the ESV was definitely Yoda because some things were like out of order, but it's still yeah. very wise and reliable. Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> That's perfect for him, man. Awesome. Oh, and the Holman, the Holman is Mace Windu, because it's it's he's good, he's formidable, but doesn't have a lot of fans after. All. No, <laughs> like, exactly. Isn't that kind of crazy? He's not one of the he more popular niche, Jedi. He has a niche following. That's yeah. That's what he <laughs> yeah. All well, right. I'm a, hey, that's what I teach out of is the CSV. Oh yeah. You threw me I when, mean, whenever huh? you, you threw me when you said CSV there for a minute instead of the Holman, but well, it's not the Holman. Of course, of, of course, you preach out of it. You're in the most Baptist of Baptist churches. <laughs> but I've always preached out of the CSV. <laughs> I study out of the ESV and I preach out of the CSV because <laughs> the CSV has that hip lingo that those kids are into. Oh yeah, it's that's pretty fresh, right? Oh yeah. yes. <laughs> You gotta, I don't know. You gotta I, speak I think that, it's easy to understand. You gotta speak that kid jargon. That's right. Wow. You, we need we need wow. a millennial Bible. <laughs> the millennial. Oh, not Bible. not millennial Bible. Millennials are has-beens now. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. The, what, the what is he? Gen Z Gen, Bible. Gen Z. You need a Gen Z Bible. Yeah. Yeet. No cap. These these homies were banging. <laughs> Yo. Yeah, and then years from now, that'll be the new Jar Jar Binks of translations. That's awesome. All right, we ready to get going? Uh, hey, let's do it. <clears throat> Episode so, three. Episode three, that's right. We're continuing our discussion on... Uh, the the Anabaptist movement and I need to make a clarification in episode two we talked about uh Conrad Grable Felix Manns and George Balrock right and at the end of that I told you the story of Balrock's uh um persecution and eventual martyrdom but I gave you you um, shall not pass Balrog huh I just like that the Balrog you shall not no I'm joking (laughs) Balrog was a cool dude. You should check him out. But I gave him a, a story of somebody that actually it, it wasn't it wasn't accurate. Um, I, I was giving you Statler's story, and today we're going to cover Statler. And so I need to make that clarification, and then we'll talk a little bit about Statler because Statler was one of the coolest guys ever, too. But uh, so basically, the Anabaptist movement passed along from Zwingli was kind of like the start of things, right? And then we talked about man and uh and Balrock. And uh what what year are we up to? We're at so Bal- Balrock died in fifteen twenty seven. Sorry, fifteen twenty nine. Um but we're gonna go back a little bit to fifteen twenty seven because the kind of like the movement shifted from uh, one city to the next before we do that, um, by this time, there were a whole bunch of different little splinter movements going on um, in, well, basically in Switzerland and Germany and all across um, 
all across the countryside. And a lot of them are attributed to the Anabaptists. Yeah. Or a lot of them are lumped. It's almost like <clears throat> they clump them into these this category of Anabaptists. But the Anabaptists I'm talking about, um, a lot of these little splinter movements are not part of them. And so um, the book I'm reading is a really good book. It's called The Anabaptist Story. It's it's by a guy by the name of William R. Uh, Eastep. He's He was a, a teaching professor of church history at a, a Southwestern for quite a while. Um, and that's when he wrote this book. But he divides these these movements up into three different categories because um, it can get easy to uh, basically just to mistake which one's which. And so before we continue on in our story, the Anabaptists, we need to define what Anabaptists stood on. And the best way to define that is to to talk about these three different movements. So we we have the Anabaptists, we have the Inspirationalists. Mm. And then we have the rationalists. Now, did they wear these labels or were they given to them? They were given to them okay. in a lot of ways. Now, the inspirationalists, the rationalists, and <clears throat> this is how most church history scholars divide up the Anabaptist movements. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you have the traditionalist Anabaptists, and that's Barak, Manns, um, that, the people that we talked about last week or last time, that they're, they're the traditional Anabaptist movement. But also off of this were little splinters. And these splinters were the inspirationalists and the rationalists. You can clump them into basically two two different groups, the inspirationalists and the rationalists. Um, so let's talk about what they all had in common. And this is why they're lumped together a lot. They all had in common the belief of that there should be no state authority as far as religion is concerned, which was a <clears throat> revolutionary belief at this time. Oh, yeah, because this, this goes was, all the way back to Rome. Exactly. This is something that even, even the Reformers, like the <clears throat> Lutherans, didn't really hold to. Um, Calvin was all about the state intervening uh, in religious um, problems of, of religion. And so all three of these believed that State authorities had no place in religion to tell religious to tell people what to to believe religiously. All three of them. The other major thing they had in common was none of them believed in infant baptism. Um, although not all of them believed in what what the Anabaptists termed believers' baptism. Okay, so. Um, because of those two fundamental beliefs, they all got lumped together in one group called the Anabaptists. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yep. So, and so you have the Anabaptists. Because those, the those are big things. Like those are big separating topics. They're they're huge, and they the reason they're all lumped together in one one group is because because of those two things they had in common. None of the other movements had those things in common. Right. Does that make sense? Yep. And so because of that, they were lumped together as Anabaptists. But there's some serious disagreements within these these three sects. So the Anabaptists, they were concerned with that. Um, it, and it all has to rest on final authority. Where does final authority in religion lie? Okay. 
So for the Anabaptists, and I'm, I'm going to be doing a lot of reading out of William Eastrup's book because he says it way better than I can say it, and I'm terrible at, at this stuff, so, <laughs> so I'm just going to let him speak. But for him, the German Anabaptists, the, the traditionalist Anabaptists, this is Mann's, Grable, Barak, mm-hmm. the, the, the thing that they started, right? They believe the final authority for the Christian life and faith and order of the church was the New Testament. In particular, in particular, the life and teachings of Christ. While they tended to interpret the scriptures in a, letter, in a literal sense, they were Christocentric. It was Christ who was the actual formation of the faith because of his ultimate authority to reject the Old Testament in a Marcionite fashion. It was never allowed to take precedence over the New Testament or to become normative for the Christian faith. Theirs was a New Testament hermeneutic and assumed the progression of the biblical revelation that culminated in the Christ event. Therefore, the Old Testament, although useful and often quoted, could never stand alone, unqualified by the New Testament. So their, their major authority lied in Christocentric New Testament theology. That makes sense. Yep. So where they got their beliefs rested on the Bible. That was that was the authority of their life. Uh, over state authority, um, that's what they focused on. So, a couple of things: New Testament ultimate authority. They were crisis centric, and they they accepted the New Testament almost over the Old Testament. Um, they held the New Testament in a higher esteem as, than the Old Testament. Right. So then you have the inspirationalists. The inspirationalists, and this is uh, from him, um, the spirit took precedence over the Bible. Thus the, immediately in, uh, thus the immediate illumination of the spirit became the norm for the inspirationalist program of reform. The Zwaku prophets, Nicholas Storch and Thomas Munzer, claimed special revelation. So they believed in special revelation over everything mm, else interesting as did later inspirationalists the inspiration inspirationalists were not primarily concerned with the visible church with the anabaptists they shared um antipathy toward reform of civil authority they did not however share the anabaptist emphasis on the restoration of the new testament church for the believers baptism wow. so they weren't so much focused on that and they were heavy into new inspiration from the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's almost, it's almost Gnostic. (laughs) Right. It's almost like a new Gnosticism. Yeah. And a lot of people compared it to that. And you can see why the Anabaptists would get kind of furious with, uh, when people lump them in the same. Oh yeah. As the inspirationalist. Which was considered. That's not us. Yeah. Right. So, well, I'm sure that if they were being compared to Gnosticism, they probably didn't take that too well, either being the first, uh, quote-unquote, Christian heresy. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, in fact, they they chose the Holy Spirit over biblical revelation, which is very interesting that they would be a branch out of the Reformation because the mm-hmm. Reformation's number one tenet was scripture alone you know yeah. well, one of their number one t- tenets and so. you know that's um well it's true but uh 
it's not surprising that it could develop to this place because, uh, I mean, I know people that I have debates with a lot, <laughs> fun debates, not, you know, we don't get mad, <laughs> but uh, that that basically believe that the, that the New Testament is unreliable and that we have to rely on the Holy Spirit to guide us instead. And so right. it's very much the same type of thing. So the third um, group that we're looking at were the rationalists, um, what what uh, this guy Eastrip calls a rationalist. Um, and from him, it says, the rationalists, as the term implies, put primary emphasis on the place of reason in interpreting the scriptures. For the most part, the evangelical rationalists were anti-Trinitarian. But they were anti-Trinitarian because they were rationalists and not the reverse. Reason, therefore, and not scripture or special revelation, became for them the source of ultimate authority. Such uh, uh, disparate leaders as as Michael Cervatus, Jules de Valdez, um, let's see, Sebastian Castillo, George uh, Biadarta, and Faustus, Siconus are listed in this category. Some stayed in the Roman Catholic Church. Others attempted the restoration of what they conceived to be the New Testament Christianity in separate churches. All were much more evangelical than they have at times been represented. Um, so the rationalists, like like I said, their their number one thing, they place reason over scripture or authority. Does that make sense? Okay. So they rationalized <clears throat> everything that was rational is uh reason was their ultimate yeah. authority so you have these three different distinctions and the one we're following is the anabaptist and it's important to make those distinctions because growing up when somebody especially when i was studying the reformers to begin with when somebody would introduce to me the anabaptist my my immediate reaction would be well they were a bunch of nut jobs like most <laughs> most of them they were just they splintered off and you know, they, you know, uh, I don't want to be associated as an Anabaptist because they, you know, they obviously believe some pretty crazy far out there things. You know, they had special revelation or divine revelation. Some of them were, you know, non-Trinitarians. They, they just, they weren't Christians in my, you know, in my mind. And so, but what, the truth is, is there were all different types, but the Anabaptists, you can see a direct line um, if you study it a little bit better. Does that make sense? Yep. So, anyways, doing that distinction. So they're not all so, nut jobs. They're just. They're not all nut jobs. <laughs> Some of them are nut jobs, right? So there's just Which, a, a few nuts sprinkled in, like right. some mixed nuts. So today I want to focus on the next, basically, the next leaders of the Anabaptist movement. So the three major leaders, and and remember Anabaptist, the the movement really started in Zurich uh, under Zwingli, although Zwingli despised it um, and started killing off the people who were were claiming uh, Anabaptist faith or who who were baptizing themselves illegally. Um, uh, And so... Basically, what happens is Felix Manns uh, and Grable, Manns uh, dies before he, uh, um, I think it was Manns, hold on real quick, I need to make sure I'm saying this right, because the last time I messed this up horribly, 
Um, Did you get called down on it by, no, by your Anabaptist friends? I, uh, I went back and I started reading it again, and I went, oh, I totally jacked that up, which is, which is normal. So, <laughs> sorry, Grable. Grable died of the plague basically before his – way before his time. Um, if he hadn't have died of the plague, he would have been uh, martyred. Felix Mann was, Manns was the first um, martyr for Anabaptism, and he was basically drowned to death, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And then, he, and then you have George Barrock, who was the first guy to baptize Manns and Grable, um, and he was uh, he was uh, put on uh, he was burned right burned at the stake yeah yeah exactly so from there there was another uh, guy and the, so the two I want to focus on today um, are a guy by the name of Statler and then I want to I want to finish off today with uh, with Doctor Balthazar. Hubmeyer, which is an amazing name, by the way. Balthazar. Balthazar Hubmeyer. Hubmeyer. Have you ever heard of him? The name sounds familiar. He's my new. He's my new favorite reformer of all time. Period. Yeah. Like a hundred percent. His story is one of the most incredible stories I've ever read, <laughs> ever. And I, we'll, we'll get to him. Okay. But before we get to him, we have to talk a little bit about Michael Statler, um, or Mark. Sorry, Michael Statler. Michael uh, Sattler was, um, let's see, he was born in 1490. There's almost no record of him uh, before basically uh, getting busted and then and essentially burned at the stake. Um, and the reason there's really no record for him is because uh, the people who held the records, namely the, the Catholic, uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the church, yeah, uh, got rid of all all of this stuff. Yeah. So because we'll he was erase the first you. real, we're gonna exactly. erase you from history. Well, that's what heretic. they did in a in a lot in a lot of sense. Um, and he's the first. The reason is is he's the first real writer for the Anabaptist movement. He's the guy that actually puts down the beliefs of the Anabaptist movement before anybody else does. Although. Mans and Grable were preaching this stuff, and and uh, and Balrock, who was kind of like Balrock's, like that, almost like that ignorant cheerleader. I want to call him. Like <laughs> he had a big heart, but not a very big mind. <laughs> so he's like, Gay! you know, who at the but he wasn't. He wasn't. He wasn't brilliant, right? We are you thinking male cheerleader here? <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm just like, you know, that guy that like he he's in your corner no matter what, but he's not all all that brilliant. Okay, yeah. So so you know he didn't write a whole lot. He did write some beautiful poetry and some beautiful hymns and stuff. But other than that, he he wasn't a big writer. Well, uh, um, Statler was so our Statler was so anyway. Statler, he was a priest um, and. He became called basically a heretic. He went to Zurich, um, and he was he was with um, Balrock and all those guys. And he was the kind of the guy that they, in a lot of ways, they passed the torch to. Um, 
So he he travels around. He meets with a whole bunch of different. And by this time, the Anabaptist movement is spreading all over Switzerland, um, and is is becoming a, a big deal. Um, and so he uh, he's traveling around and he's preaching. And, but not only is he preaching, but he's writing, and he writes. Um, a treatise, and, and this is his own writing, but he writes a treatise of 16 beliefs um, that he sticks to uh, that, that's been destroyed, by the way. We don't have an account of. Um, but he noticed that after the death of um, Hans and, and uh, after the death of, of the, the three major reformers, mm-hmm. that everything was kind of splintering off and scattering. And they needed to definitively meet together and define how the church should function. So uh, I'm going to read this uh, right here on page 65, and uh, it, it explains it a lot better than I can. But Sattler is basically the, the guy who carries the torch from those three and really puts pen to paper and organizes the church. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Organizes the, the Santa Baptist movement. So it says... Um, uh, so he writes this thing called the Schlittenheim Confession, um, and it's basically the turning point for the uh, the Swiss and German Anabaptist belief. Um, and I'll just read, I'll just start reading. It says, it is also indicative of the growing influence of Sattler, who was without reasonable doubt its major architect. Anabaptism stood, Anabaptism stood at, a cro- at the crossroads. On July 5th, 1527, Felix Mann had been executed by drowning in Zurich, the first martyrdom of the Anabaptists at the hand of the Protestant government, an ill omen indeed for Reformed Christianity as well as the Anabaptists. Many Anabaptists had only recently received believers' baptisms with a a modicum of instruction in German peasant rebellion. It would have been strange indeed if some had not cried for vengeance or determined to defend themselves with the sword, since the peasants had been so decisively defeated in their attempt to claim what they considered their just rights, others feared that Anabaptism would suffer a similar fate. These fears were not groundless. There was a vacuum of leadership. Grands, uh, Grable mans uh, were dead. Balrock was in prison. Rebulum and Brottle eventually lacked the ability to lead the movement that demanded a leader within the depth of conviction, clarity, and thought, and inflicting courage that characterized Michael Sattler. Sattler recognized the crisis, um, recognized the crisis. It was time to regroup. The call went out. Secretly, the brethren decided to assemble at Shadem and Rendon near Schaffhausen to consider the future of the movement. For this purpose, Sattler had drawn up and possibly circulated before the meeting several articles that constituted in his mind the basic principles of faith and order that would henceforth distinguish the movement from all others. Snyder held that Sackheim marked the beginning of sectarian Anabaptism. Yoder wrote that early 1527 must be recognized as a coming of age of a distinct visible fellowship taking long-range responsibility for its order and its faith. In other words, most Anabaptists of today, when I say Yoder, I'm talking about Yoder of the the Swiss Brethren movement, mm-hmm. which stemmed off of this and ended up being so the Anabaptists today um, are basically 
um, Mennonites, right? Yeah. Um, they would claim that their their roots began right here with Sattler in with writing the uh, Schettenheim Confession in early 1527. So this is this is like their official start, right after. Um, Man, Scrabble, and, and Balrog. Yeah, after the champions of it passed on and passed the torch to Exactly. Sattler. So the the Schittenheim, and, uh, Schlittenheim, Schlittenheim, be careful what I'm saying there. We got we to we wear our lederhosen. That's right. The Schlittenheim Confession was not intended to be a doctrinal formulation. There was no strict theological concept directly asserted in it. Um, in other words, it didn't talk about God. It didn't talk about man's role. It didn't talk about salvation of the church eschatology. It was actually like their Didache. So if you remember the Didache, that yes. was second century's way of mm-hmm. telling you how to do church, right? Basically. Right. right. Um, so this was the Swiss Brethren's Didache. And so it covered um, beliefs such as how to do and why to do the Lord's Supper, Um what type of pastor you should look for, this kind of stuff. Yeah. So this would be this so is it, a good it, it's similar to, but maybe not as exhaustive as the um, the Westminster Confession or, you know, something right. like that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So um, I'll read a, just a little excerpt from it. The pastor of the flock should be someone who has a good testimony from those who are outside the faith. Let his office be in all things that pertain to the body of Christ to watch how it may be sustained and increased that the name of God may be honored and praised through us by the mouth of blasphemy, but the mouth of blasphemy may be stopped, but know that, but know what a support if he is in need of it ought to be supplied by the church, which elects him. But if a pastor is either expelled or led to the Lord through the cross, uh, through the cross, another ought to succeed him at once, that the people and flock of God be not scattered, but preserved through exhortation and may receive consolation. Um, so that was just that's just an example of what this this, this thing holds. Um, and his point in saying, you know, if if the pastor dies, don't scatter. Yeah pick another pastor. And so these were very practical like steps that they could, because they were under persecution. They were, you know, mm-hmm. being beaten down at this time. So they're holding this meeting and there's like 16 of them, including, uh, uh, um, Sattler's wife. Um, and the, the government officials, that was my, my thing was it yours yeah so the government officials find out um that they're, they're having the secret meeting and organizing the religion obviously um they uh they arrest everybody involved including sattler um when they find out how important sattler is to the to the faith they they immediately they they wanted to to kill him. In fact, the uh, Ferdinand, who was who's the leader of the, um, you know Ferdinand, King Ferdinand, mm-hmm. um, suggested when he found out that they had captured Sattler, suggested that they drown him immediately. Like, don't even have a yeah, don't even have a uh, 
a trial uh, or anything. A trial. Yeah. Just take him out and drown him because he's going to, he recognized that he's, he was going to be the next leader. It's really sad because he, I mean, this guy dies right before, I mean, his prime. He's about to blow up and become the next great leader of, um, uh, uh, of the, uh, the, uh, the rebellion and, and the, um, the Anabaptist story. So it's pretty interesting. But uh, so all of them are taken to court. It's this big parade, this big circus, and it comes down to these are the charges. So I'm going to read the charges that they give, <laughs> um, and then I'm going to read Sattler's answer to all the charges. It says, count number one, that he and his adherents acted contrary to the decree of the emperor. Count number two, he taught, maintained, and believed that the body and the blood of Christ were not present in the sacrament. Count number three, he taught and believed that infant baptism was not promotive of salvation. Count number four, they rejected the sacrament of unction. Five, they despised and reviled the mother of God and condemned the saints. Six, he declared that men should not swear before a magistrate. Seven, he has commenced a new and unheard of custom in regard to the Lord's Supper, placing the bread and wine on a plate, eating and drinking the same. Wow. <laughs> Eight, contrary to the rule, he has married a wife. Nine, he said, if the Turks invaded the country, we ought not to resist them. And if he appeared uh, approved of war, he would rather take the field against the Christians than against the Turks. Notwithstanding, it is an important matter to set the greatest enemies of our faith against us. Wow. <laughs> so, I mean, they're they're going after him <clears throat> pretty hardcore. Um, so these were his defense, uh, and I'll just read it. Sattler's defense was both skillful and courageous. In answer to the first charge, he pointed out that the imperial mandates were against the Lutherans. Remember, the first charge was the decree of the emperor to, to stop following Luther, basically. Yeah. They directed the Lutheran doctor an error not to be followed rather than the gospel and the word of God. This we have observed, he stated, for I'm not aware that we have acted contrary to the gospel and word of God. I appeal to the word of Christ. He accepted the second charge as valid, defending the Anabaptist uh, position with numerous scripture references. And that second charge was, um, the body and uh, blood of Christ were not present in the sacrament. Oh, excuse me. The third charge he didn't deny, but also uh, confirmed affirmed believers' baptism. And speaking of the fourth article, he distinguished between oil as a creation of God, which is good, and the oil of extreme unction, which is no better. What God has made is good and not to be rejected. But what the Pope with his bishops, monks, and priests has made it better, we deny. For the Pope has never made anything good. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Concerning the Virgin Mary, he said, we never reviled the mother of God and the saints, but the mother of Christ should be esteemed above all women, for she had the favor of giving birth to the Savior of the world. But she shall, uh, but that she shall be an intercessor is not known in Scripture. As to the saints, we say that we who live and believe are the saints. In evidence of this, I appeal to the Epistle of Paul, to the Romans, Corinthians, Ephesians, etc., he always writes to the beloved saints. We, therefore, who believe are the saints. 
those who die in the faith we consider the blessed. Sattler accepted the sixth charge. I mean, that's a wow. How do you? <clears throat> pretty powerful. Sattler accepted the sixth charge as justified and defended the Anabaptist position with Matthew five thirty four through thirty seven. That sixth charge again was a. Uh, and should not swear before a magistrate. Oh, yeah. So he, he believed that men should not swear before a magistrate. <clears throat> um, let's see. He turned his attention to the last few charges brought against him personally. He defended his action in taking a wife on two grounds. First, the gross immorality among priests and monks. There's <laughs> <laughs> nothing second, new under the sun, right? That's right. And second, that marriage is an ordinance of God. Regarding his teaching about the Turks, Sattler asserted that the Anabaptist principle of non-resistance. Then he proceeded to restate his petition, uh, position with complete candor. If the Turks should make an invasion, they should not be resisted, for it is written, thou shalt not kill. We ought not to defend ourselves against the Turks and our persecutors, but earnestly entreat God in our prayer that he would repeal and withstand them. For my saying that I, if I approved of war, I would rather... Uh, march forth against the so-named Christians who persecute, imprison, and put to death the pious Christians, I assign this reason. The Turk is a true Turk, knows nothing of the Christian faith, and is a Turk according to the flesh. But you, wishing to be a Christian and making your boast of Christ, persecute the pious witnesses of Christ and are Turks according to the Spirit. <laughs> Wow. By the way, like that's the biggest like yeah, if you, slap in the face. Yeah, if you're going to to be uh on your trying to get off of the the charges, that's not a good way to do it. That's not a good way to do it. <laughs> to call them Turks is, is a is a is a slap in their face because you know, to them at that time there was no dirtier people yeah. to them. Than, than Muslims, right? Yeah. And, or the, the Turkish invading armies. So how dare them, you know, how dare he compare them to Turks? It's crazy. Uh, so I'm going to read read the end of this. This blows me away, um, his story uh, and how he died. Uh, in his closing appeal, Sattler established the legitimacy of the office of magistrate defining its jurisdiction, limitations, and responsibilities. His final plea was for an opportunity to discuss the, scripture, uh, discuss the scriptures with the judges in any language of their choice. He expressed fervent hope that the judges would repent and receive instruction. The response, according to the account, reminiscent of the apostolic days, was indicative of the spirit of the court. Sorry, again, my thing. Um, the judges laughed. And after consultation, the town clerk said, Oh, you infamous, desperate villain and monk, you would have us engage with you in a discussion. The executioner will dispute with you, we think for a certainty. Sattler exclaimed, Let the will of God be done. <laughs> so much more of the same followed. The town clerk became more and more violent, caught up in an emotional frenzy. frenzy. He threatened to take life, uh, Sattler's life on the spot. The prisoner's patience and composure were obviously exasperating to his would-be judges. During the hour and a half while the judges deliberated, Sattler was alternately threatened and ridiculed. Some cried out, when I see you, uh, when I see you get away, I'll believe in you. Others seized his sword and said, 
See, with this we will dispute with you. A voice in the crowd asked why he had not rema uh, remained a, a lord in the monastery. Sattler replied, I was a lord according to the flesh, but it is better thus. Seemingly nothing could destroy Michael Sattler's claim of self-composure. Even the sentence to which he had already uh, been made failed to shake him. Klaus and uh, Greenwick, an eyewitness, wrote of Sattler's conduct. All this I saw myself. May God grant us to testify to him who bravely and uh, testify of him so bravely and patiently. The events recorded above took place over a two-day period. The sentence was read on May 18th. Two days later, on May 20th, Sattler was executed. The torture, a prelude to the ex execution, began at the marketplace where a piece of flesh was cut from Sattler's tongue. Pieces of flesh were torn from his body twice with red-hot tongs. Mm. He was then forged to a cart. On the way to the scene of the execution, the tongs were applied five times more. In the marketplace and at the site of the execution, still able to speak, the unshakable Sattler prayed for his persecutors. After being bound to a ladder with ropes and pushed into the fire, he admonished the people, the judges, and the mayor to repent and be converted. <laughs> then he prayed, Almighty Eternal God, thou art the way and the truth, because I have not been shown to be an heir. I will, with thy help, and to this day testify to the truth and seal it with my blood. As soon as the ropes on his roofs were burned, Sattler raised two forefingers of, of his hands, giving the promised signal to the brother that the, a martyr's death was bearable. Then the assembled crowd heard coming from his seared lips, Father, I commend my spirit into thy hand. Wow. Two days later, his wife <clears throat> was taken and drowned. Actually, eight days later, his wife, wife was taken and drowned in the river. Mm. Man. Isn't that great? It is, uh, it's just uh, amazing to me, that, that testimony. Mm -hmm. So... Um, but because of Sattler's work, we we have the basis for uh, and and the the official birth of the Anabaptist movement and faith. Some some of the things you know I totally agree with. I I disagree with him on the whole war thing, but mm -hmm. I, you know that's that's the movement itself. Yeah, well, and I grew up with some of that um, like the same thing about the not swearing before magistrates. That was one thing that uh, was a big thing in, in our group that I grew up in, you know. And to me, it's a misunderstanding of the teaching. Like, it's it's too legalistic. It's a legalistic take on what Jesus is saying. It's not listening to the heart of what he's saying. Um, mm -hmm. But anyway, but still, I mean, the conviction and, you know, the fact that he was standing on Christ alone in, in in lieu of all the uh, the things that the his his oppressors uh, right. were were holding against him, uh, it's, just, uh, it's it's amazing to me that that we have this in our Christian history that we not only execution but the torture and the and this is <laughs> this is a mild one by the way, <laughs> right? It is. But it's unbelievable. I mean, and he, he stays faithful all the way through. It's pretty incredible. So, and uh, so my next guy I want to talk about absolutely blows me away. And he's, he's kind of like the next. And he be, he's, 
he's the most out of out of all these guys that we've talked about he's probably the most solid theologically caught i mean has the background of of a doc you know he's dr valshazar hubmeyer and he's quickly become my favorite uh, reformer just because of his insane story so this dude valshazar was born around 1480 1481 um and he was born to peasant uh parents Okay, so he worked his way up and he ended up he he was smart enough that he got a ride. Uh, you know, somebody paid for his tutelage at the University of uh, Friedberg and he studied for a couple of years, but he didn't have enough funds to stay there. So he got moved out and then he went back a short time later after he taught school for a while in Schofhausen. He went back to the university and uh, he he earned his his um, uh, bachelor's and then his master's and then eventually his doctorate. During that time, he became basically the uh, uh, teacher's pet of Dr. John Eck, um, who was another reformer, by the way. Mm-hmm. And John Eck was this. I mean, superstar theologian at the time uh, in the in the Catholic Church. Uh, everybody everybody loved John Eck. He was like he was a big arguer um, against um, uh, against every you know everything against the Catholic Church. So um, this is what John Eck had to say about Hubmeyer. It is wonderful to say with uh, what circumspection and eagerness he acquired the doctrines of philosophy how he hung upon the lips of his teacher and zealously wrote down the lectures a diligent reader and an unwearied hearer and an industrious repeater uh, of other hearers so he obtained the master's degree with the greatest honor which is pretty interesting so this guy i mean he was he was just smart as a whip and he studied under his his catholic teachers and became like this great catholic Later on, he was ordained to the priesthood, and he was appointed as the university preacher and chaplain of the Church of the Virgin, uh, which was the university church there uh, at the University of Freeburg. Um, yeah, but he wasn't a very good administrator, um, and he was an awesome preacher. Like, people loved his charisma. He was just like this magnet that that people would just go and listen to his homilies all the time, right? They, they <laughs> right. loved his, loved his, uh, his, um, you know, his oratory intellect or whatever. So he he became really kind of famous throughout the land as one of these great preachers. Gotcha. Okay? Um, this is, I'm going to read this straight from the book because it just blows me away. So a little bit after his appointment to uh, the university preacher and chaplain, of the Church of the Virgin, uh, he leaves and he goes to Rosenberg as the the head, the chief preacher at the new cathedral there. And Rosenberg is kind of like a beacon in the in this area of of religious beliefism, and, and it's uh, uh, it's a uh, it's it's a Catholic hub. Okay, mm. and so um, I, I'm going to read what this says. It says Rosenberg was easily the most prominent city in the cathedral the most outstanding in the area upon his arrival as the new preacher 
He found the town in an uproarious anti-Semitic campaign to rid the city of the Jews. He immediately, so, you know, this is one of those things that, like, during this time, I mean, the Jews weren't getting a lot of love from either side, Catholic or Protestant. Everybody hated the Jews. If you read Luther's take on the Jews, it's a very interesting take. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, And and so, but it was just uh, anti-Semitism was everywhere. So listen to this. He immediately championed the cause, evidently without a qualm of conscience. Hubmeyer obviously shared the president uh, prejudices of the people of his day and probably the moral standard standards of his fellow uh, ecclesiastics. With the Jews out of the way, the books were wiped clean. The city fathers found themselves free of debts oh. and in possession of a synagogue building. <laughs> Under Hubmeyer's leadership, the deserted synagogue was transformed into a Catholic chapel dedicated to the beauteous Mary. Oh, wow. Okay. So this is the type of dude that Hubmeyer is. Mm-hmm. He's this zealous Catholic priest, pompous, and just champions the Catholic faith, helped kick out the Jews from his city, and took their synagogue and turned it into a Catholic cathedral dedicated to, to the Mary. Blessed Virgin Mary. <laughs> Can you imagine? This is, this is the kind of guy. Um, now, I'm not done. Listen to this. Immediately, the renovated cha- chapel was a success. Miracles took place there daily. News traveled rapidly over the countryside and the city was soon filled with credulous pilgrims. Hubmeyer listed 54 miracles which he testified had taken place since his inauguration. Wow. Oh, my goodness. So there becomes this little struggle for power between a monastery that's in the same place who's struggling for income, and basically Hubmeyer because of all these miracles that are taking place, he becomes like yeah, he's the rich all the and attention. powerful. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So this monastery kind of ousts him a little bit. Um, uh, the Dominic, This Dominican monastery kicks him out. Um, and so he kind of leaves, um, and he goes to Waldshut. Uh, Wild what? Waldshut, where he takes up the uh, residents of the university there. Um, so at Waldshut, his 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 fame is because he's become. If I if I would equate it to today's like what happens today, he's mm-hmm. like this name it claim it pastor. He's a Joel Steen of his time. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I hate that, but that's honestly that's how I look at him. Right? He's this guy who's like, or Robert Tilton. Yeah, he's he's the guy that's or yeah, whatever the guy that sells the the you know the the oil on yeah on yeah. the TV and the blessing. For I got blood poisoning because I've been rolling in all the prayer, prayer. requests that came, that came in. Right, so, it's nuts, you know this whole this whole thing, and so he ends up uh, becoming kind of like a superstar to all of his. Catholic friends and priests, you know, and he's like acknowledged as this great and mighty leader, you know, he's, he's on his way to sainthood. That's basically, <laughs> his goal, right? He's on the fast and, track to sainthood. 
He is. He's on the fast track to sainthood. I'll make sainthood um, by the time. Oh, you got to die first. Never mind. I love this. During his first year at Waldshut, Hubmeyer uh, conscientiously performed the duties of a typical medieval par- parish priest. During thunderstorms, he stationed himself at the church door with the host and blessed the clouds. At Easter and on other occasions when the host was carried to the sick, this is the body and bread of Christ, right? The host yeah, yeah. was carried to the sick. He saw that everything was done with much pomp and ceremony. In fact, Waldshut had never before witnessed such an elaborate procession or such impressive ritual. The uh, Reverend Doctor received uh, reverence Mary and all the saints and was in turn revered by the cities of Waldshut. Hmm. So this is who he is, right? This is, I mean, he is like, he's on the fast track to sainthood. Everything he does is like, look at me, look at me. I'm the greatest Catholic priest ever. I'm going to become the next, you know, Pope. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's his goal. And so, uh, um, and I'm going to keep reading just because I, I love how uh, how William Eastrip tells the story of Balthazar. But all this was destined to change. However, it may not have been apparent to anyone but Hubmeyer in 1522. This was the year of decision for him. Sometime before, perhaps from the beginning of his days at Waldship, he had begun to study the scriptures, giving special attention to the Pauline epistles. In June 1522, he journeyed to Basel, where he made an acquaintance of Glarian, Grable's old teacher, and Erasmus. So he meets with Erasmus, okay? Mm-hmm. After visiting the other, and if you remember who Erasmus is, he's kind of like, the OG father of the Reformation before the father of the Reformation. Yeah. Although he, he's, he denies he's, Yeah, he's under the uh, the radar. Exactly. After visiting other Swiss cities and noting the progress of the Reformation, he returned to Waldship. He was more intent than ever to study the New Testament, which became increasingly the source book of his theology. Later in 1522, a new call came from Rosenberg evidence that the people had not forgotten the eloquence of zeal of their former people's priest. But this time, whether they knew it or not, it was not the same Dr. Hubmeyer they had known a short time before. So in other words, he goes back from Waldshed. He starts studying Pauline epistles. Mm-hmm. He meets with Erasmus, and something changes. And he ends up going back to Rosenberg, where, you know, he kicked out the Jews and started that, you know, yeah. thing. <clears throat> so... Uh, the old Hubmeyer, the pop, popular but superficial cleric of Rosenberg days, had given way to a new Hubmeyer, an evan- evangelical preacher of Waldshut. He reopened his ministry with a message from the Gospel of Luke and announced a series of the same. It should have been clear to his listeners that ba- Dr. Balshazar was now committed to the Reformation and personally to Christ. He was indeed a captive to the Word of God. The shock was too great. After about three months, he had to leave Rosenberg and go back to Waldshit because they kicked him out, Yeah, uh, which is pretty funny. He starts meeting with Zwingli. He takes part in the second uh, uh, disputation in Zurich mm-hmm. against the Anabaptists, Yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, for Zwingli. He helps out Zwingli. So he's, so he's sitting on he's, the side of he's Zwingli. He's covering all the bases. 
Exactly, <laughs> but he's, he's not yet an Anabaptist. And at this point, this is what he writes um, about his life right after he, he has an argument with Zwingli over the Lord's Supper. He believes that it's, it is indeed just uh, symbolism. It's not mm-hmm. transubstantiation. Uh, or what does Zwingli call it? Zwingli called it not transubstantiation, but he believed it was a different type of substantiation. Not substantiation. Um, oh, my goodness. My dad's going to shoot me for this. I keep forgetting. <laughs> consubstantiation. Mm-hmm. He, Zwingli was the first one to introduce consubstantiation, which was, well, it's not technically the body and the blood of Jesus, like transubstantiation says, mm-hmm. but it's the spiritual essence of Jesus in the in the bread and the wine. Yeah, And that's consubstantiation. So it's like, almost the Lord's <laughs> Supper, but not quite, right? If Jesus was made out of bread, right. this is what it would taste like. <laughs> this is what it tastes like, exactly. <laughs> so it, it is a, uh, he's, and he still believed that, uh, he still believed it was salvific. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> Hubmeyer disagrees with him here. He doesn't think it's salvific. Um, because of his re- reading of the Pauline epistles, mm-hmm. um, especially, of course, Ephesians 2. I mean, you have Romans, uh, all of this. So um, so he's arguing, and he kind of breaks with Zwingli, and he's getting the attention of Ferdinand now because he's starting to break. You know, he's left his Catholic roots. Yeah. Now he's, he's, he's with the Re- Reformation, but he's breaking from the Reformation. So during this time, he writes in an October disputation, he says, Dear devout Christians, this is my conviction, which I have learned from the scriptures, namely about images and the mass, wherein my teaching is not right, the Christian, not right in Christian. I ask you all through Jesus Christ, our only Savior, I ask and beseech you to correct my judgment in a brotherly and Christian way with the scriptures. I may err. I am a man, but a heretic I cannot be. I will and desire from my heart receive correction and my many thanks to those who make known my error. For I will follow God's word willingly in all obedience, come under its judgment for you and all of us to be truly Christ's disciples and follow after him. Okay, so it's at this time that he basically opens up about his past and he's honest about the fact that whenever he started um he was not a christian and now he is right okay um he says and this is one of the things he says he says further i hear with great sadness how in your city of rosenberg more men preach vanity than the pure word of God, and that makes my heart ache. For what does not flow forth from the living word is dead before God. Therefore, says Christ, search the scriptures. He does not say follow the old customs. Though I did nothing else when I was uh, when I was the first time with you. In other words, he's saying the first time I was with you, all I did was follow old customs. Yeah. Right? However, I did it ignorantly. Like others, I was blinded and possessed by the doctrine of men. 
Therefore, I openly confess before God and all men that I then became a doctor and preached some years among you and elsewhere and had yet not known the way unto eternal life. Within two years, Christ, for the first time, has come into my heart, and I thrive. I have never dared to preach him so boldly as now. By the grace of God, I lament before God that I so longly lay ill of this sickness. I pray him truly for pardon. I did this unwittingly. Therefore, I write this. I wonder if your preachers now will say, I am now of another disposition than formerly. That I confess and condemn all doctrine and preaching, such as were mine among you and elsewhere, that is not grounded in the divine word. <laughs> wow. That is, that hits so close to home. <laughs> Isn't that, is that nuts? <laughs> like, here he is on this straight up fast track to becoming the next, you know, Pope. And, and he's doing everything out of a practice, uh, you know, a, just a vain practice with no heart in it. Mm-hmm. And when he truly studies the scriptures, his life has fully changed. Dude, I've got sermons on my hard drive and stuff that I, I pull up every now and then and look at them like, I cannot believe <laughs> that I was this idiotic. Like, I taught this. This is, like, so wrong. <laughs> so It's so incredible to see and what the he's, work of God. Yeah, and what he's talking about there, I mean, I can relate to that feeling. Is like there's nothing you can say at this point. There is no logic that's going to drag me back into hell. <laughs> like, I, like this is right. freedom in Christ that you find. And it's like your heart's full of love and it's just like ridiculous, crazy. And it's like, you see the face of God for the first time in, sure. in your heart. And so, yeah. Wow. It's, it is, and it's life changing. So from this, he ends up writing his 16 treaties that become the basis of, and this is the right after Sattler, this is the one we have, the basis of mm-hmm. the, uh, the um, um, Anabaptist faith. And this is, this is the treaties. Here we go. Number one, faith alone makes us holy before God. Number two, this faith is the acknowledgement of the mercy or grace of God, which he has shown us in the offering of his only begotten son. This excludes all sham Christians mm-hmm. who have nothing more than a historical faith in God. Mm-hmm. Or three, such faith cannot remain passive, but must break out to God in thanksgiving and to mind uh, and to mankind in all kinds of works of brotherly love. Hence, all vain religious acts such as candles, palm branches, and holy water hot water will be rejected. Number four, those works alone are good which God has commanded us, and those alone are evil which He has forbidden. Hence, fall away fish, flesh. Cows and tonsures. Wow. <laughs> He's getting heated up. Yeah. Number five, the mass is not a sacrifice, but a remembrance of the death of Christ. Therefore, it is not an offering for the dead nor for the living. Hence, fall away to ground weekly, monthly, and yearly masses for the dead. Mm. Number six, as often as the memorial is observed, should the death of the Lord be preached in the language of the people. Hence, fall away all private masses together in a heap. Number eight, every Christian believes for himself and is baptized. So each individual should see and judge by the scriptures if he is rightly provided food and drink by his pastor, Lord, supper by his pastor. Number 13, 
Uh, I skipped a bit, but number 13, the members of the church are obliged to support with adequate food and clothing those who teach the word of God purely, clearly, and sincerely. Hence fall away the ground courtiers, parishioners, or no, pensiers, incorporators, uh, absentees, repeaters of false legends, and dream babblers. <laughs> number 16, to promote chastity in the strength of men is nothing other than to promise to fly over the sea without wings. Wow. <laughs> Let's do that again. To promote chastity in the strength of men is nothing other than the promise to fly over the sea without wings. <laughs> that needs to be a t-shirt. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? This guy, out of all the guys that we quote, I mean, I could make a, a store full of his sayings. Yeah. <laughs> like, are just genius. This guy. I mean, he is... He's incredible. <laughs> so basically, I mean, uh, he has this whole thing about heretics. So, okay, let's continue on a little bit. Um, he's summoned, by this time, he's summoned to stand trial, of course. <laughs> but the people, so he's teaching, um, let's see, where is he? where is he at? Oh, basically, so Ferdinand is calling people to, to, to punish him. He's in Waldshut, and Waldshut becomes like his hub, and the city people are backing him up pretty hardcore. Um, it becomes an Anabaptist safe house. Yeah. And, uh, and so people are demanding he stand trial. Um, he's summoned to stand trial before the Episcopal Court, but refused, saying it was none of his duty to appear before the hypocrite. <laughs> he's like... <laughs> He's pretty bold. The Austrian government uh, starts to like really um, uh, starts to really push on their on Woldshut, you know, and then try to enforce their the rule over Woldshut. And so Hubmeyer leaves um, on his own and becomes a fugitive in 1524 uh, in order to protect his city. Um, the Austrian government starts hunting him down, basically. Um, okay, and, I found this. Sorry. <laughs> basically. Anyways, um, so I, it's during this time that he writes a book called. Um, hold on. Oh, it's during this time that there's a pamphlet written about him. And others that's called Concerning Heretics and Those Who Burn Them. Okay. Um, which is about the Anabaptist movement. Um, it's about basically, you know, if you find a heretic, kill him. Hubmeyer responds with re, uh, redefining the term heretics. And I figured you'd love this, by yeah. the way. <laughs> so this is his, his response to those who deceitfully undermine the Holy Scriptures. The second article, he becomes even more specific. The same are also heretics who conceal the scriptures and interpret them other than the Holy Spirit demands, such as those that everywhere proclaim a wife as a benefice, ruling for pastoring, stones for the rock, Rome for the church, and compelling us to believe this prattle, Meyer <laughs> claims. The inquisitors are the biggest heretics of all, since against the teachings and examples of Christ, they have condemned heretics to the flames 
uh, and before the time of the harvest, root up the wheat together with the tares. Oh, wow. <laughs> so he's, he's just going after it. Hubmeyer's conviction that faith cannot be coerced is based primarily on his understanding of the gospel. Therefore, he writes, to burn a heretic is in appearance to confess Christ, but in reality to deny him and to be more detestable than jo uh, Jehoiakim, the king of Judah. Oh, man. Wow. So, in other words, if you burn a heretic, you're a heretic. Yeah, yeah. Because Christ wouldn't burn a heretic, <laughs> which is pretty brilliant argumentation, right? Yeah. You're pretty much like Jehoiakim. Didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> In Jeremiah 36. Yeah, he's the last, oh, well. the last uh, king before falling to Nebuchadnezzar. And right, exactly. Um, it says, hence the greatest deception of the people is in their zeal for God in that without scriptural support, they wish to gain the salvation of the soul, honor the church, love the truth, love of truth, a good reputation, good custom of habit, the Episcopal decrees, and all in order to instruct the reason, which is an inheritance of natural light. Therefore, these are deadly darts when they are not grounded in the scriptures and corrected thereby. Man, so again, he's he's continually going back to the scriptures. He's like, you guys, in your zeal, you think you're doing what's right, but in reality, because you're not grounded in scripture, you're doing the exact opposite. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, he's just he's going back and forth. He's he's on he's he, on the run. And, and what's um, weird is that same type of thing still happens. It's just like we're not we're not burning people. No, but we're condemning but, them the same in the same manner, and like, uh, I mean, family and friends get destroyed over it, and mm -hmm. people get blackballed. I mean, it's still all happening almost in the exact same frame. Right. He says, therefore, it is well and good that the secular authority puts to death the criminal who has physically harmed the, to the defenseless. Um, but to one who may injure the enemy of God, who wishes nothing for himself other than to forsake the gospel. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, my goodness. So he he left. Uh, he went to Schaufhausen. This is where he connects with Sattler and works with him for a little bit. Right. Um, and then he has to fight John Eck who has become his uh, greatest enemy, his former teacher, <laughs> becomes his greatest enemy, and they, they start fighting. Um, and he writes a ton. I mean, he just he spends a whole bunch of time writing. I, yeah, I could, I could read a whole bunch of this stuff. Uh, but let's see. Back and forth. He goes, and you can read a ton of his, his material. I'll read a couple things. Um, Every pious Christian can see and comprehend that he who wants to purify himself with water must previously have a good understanding of the Word of God and good conscience towards God. That is, he must be sure of his gracious, kindly God through the intersection, intersection of Christ. Therefore, baptism in water is not what cleanses the soul, but yes, of a good conscience toward God, giving inward by faith. Therefore, the baptism in water is called a baptism in remission peccatorum, Acts 2nd chapter. That is, for the pardon of sins, 
not that through it or by it sins are forgiven, but by virtue of the inward yes of the heart, which a man outwardly testifies to on submitting to water baptism, saying that he believes and is sure in his heart that his sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ. He says, where baptism in water does not exist, there is no church, no brother, no sister, no fraternal discipline, exclusion or restoration. I speak here of the visible church as Christ said, for there must be some outward sign of testimony by which brothers and sisters can know one another through faith and in uh, the heart alone. By receiving baptism, the candidate testifies publicly that he has submitted himself to his brothers and sisters, that is, to the church. So here you find the roots of this idea that end up, ends up being called believer's baptism. And this was... Um, He's going head-to-head with Zwingli at this point. This was an answer to Zwingli's pamphlet called on baptism, Anabaptist, and the view of the believer's baptism. Um, And so, let's see. He denounces infant baptism as a sign without meaning. He says this, It is clear enough of him who has eyes to see it, but is not expressed in so many words, literally, do not baptize infants. (laughs) <laughs> may one then baptize them to answer that uh to that i answer if so i may baptize my dog or my donkey or i may circumcise girls <laughs> i may make idols out of saint paul and saint peter i may bring infants to the lord's supper bless palm branches vegetables salt land and water sell the mass for an offering for it is nowhere said in express words that we must do none of these things so in other oh, words, man. somebody argued, well, it doesn't necessarily say that you shouldn't baptize. Right, infants. right. And his answer is, yeah, it doesn't say I should baptize my dog either. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is such a, a really, I mean, this guy is just, <clears throat> I'm gonna, oh, it's great. I love it. So, uh, and then he says, baptizing, baptism in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost is when a man first confesses his sins and pleads guilty, then believes in the forgiveness of his sins through Jesus Christ, and turns to live according to the rule of Christ by the grace and strength given him from God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Then he professes this publicly in the eyes of men by the outward baptism of water. He is then truly baptized, even if the baptizer did not speak these words over him. Great. I mean, it's just plain, you know? He's He's straight up just plain. Um, so he continues butting heads with Zwingli. He's on the run. He's 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 uh he's he finally gets caught. Um, he he's told to write a confession, admitting that everything he said. Um, is wrong. Mm-hmm. Let's see. I'm going to read from here on. Hebmeyer's book in baptism was widely circum- circulated among the Anabaptists. Its effect among non-Anabaptists must have been quite alarming for Zwingli rushed into print by November 5th, a reply entitled A True Thorough Reply to Dr. Balthazar's Little Book on Baptism. <laughs> Zwingli's style is caustic and bitter. 
He adds very little to his previous arguments. The main point is that Anabaptists were schismatics uh, and would ultimately destroy the existing order in Switzerland if allowed to continue unmolested. This particular controversy between Zwigli and Hubmeier has been brought to a halt uh, with Hubmeier's response, a dialogue between Balthazar Hubmeier to Frederick and Master Ulrich Zwingli of Zurich on infant baptism. Even though written at once, it was not published until the following year after Hubmeier had gone into Nicholsburg. This is the last work which Hubmeier wrote at Waldschut. After defending the pe- peasants, the Austrian government, at the insistence of Ferdinand, turned his attention to Waldschut. Hubmeier knew that the slender resources of the isolated town of Waldschut were no match for my a cheerful fo- farewell. In December 5th, Austrian soldiers were in the next si- in the city the next day. Hubmeier had no time to plan an orderly escape. According to his own testimony, he would like to have gone to Basel or Stauffberg, but the presence of the Austrian troops prohibited this. Since Schauphausen and Conscience were of the- out of the question at the time, Hubmeier was ill and terribly dis- depressed, headed for Zurich. His presence in the city was soon known, and on orders of the city council, he and his wife were seized and imprisoned. According to Zwingli, Hubmeier was arrested to keep him from fomenting an insurrection. Bullinger added that it was really because Hubmeier was so highly regarded by the Anabaptists. Since Zwingli himself felt under siege by the locals, the action was, in this case, not surprising. While a prisoner, Hubmeier renewed his request for a disputation, which was granted. This led to a wholly unexpected result. The meeting did not follow the pattern of the previous Zerg disputations. Present for the discussion were Zwingli, Judd, Oswald Mitchens, and this whole host of other people. And they were all against, basically, Hubmeier. Um, They called Hubmeier, among other things, uh, a Swabian frog. (laughs) (laughs) Hubmeier did not answer in kind, but proceeded to quote Zwingli, place and time when he asserted children should not be baptized until he could not be instructed in the faith. Zwingli claimed he had been misunderstood. Hubmeier was dumbfounded. In other words, can you imagine you stand up and you're like, all right, Hubmeier, you're you're wrong on infant baptism. And Hubmeier's like, I remember you said literally back then, whenever I was, you know, studying with you, that children should not be baptized until they were taught the gospel. <laughs> and Zwingli's like, I, I never said that. Oh, my goodness. Um, Hubmeyer agreed to write out a recantation because he was afraid, basically, of his life. Um, When he was asked to read the recantation before the congregation, after Zwingli's sermon, he's in prison right now, once Hubmeyer was in the pulpit, instead of recanting, he began... Oh, what anguish and trivial I have suffered this night over the statements which I myself have made. So I say here and now, I can and will not recant. Then he proceeded to defend. Now, this is in Zwingli's pulpit. (laughs) He proceeds to defend believers' baptism. Zwingli entered the other pulpit and silenced the people. Hubmeyer was reminded of his previous recantation and accused of being devil-possessed, which was obviously the reason for his conduct at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Refusing to back down, he was seized and placed in prison. 
during this imprisonment, Hubmeyer wrote 12 articles of Christian belief, uh, which was not printed until a year later. Um, and he wrote these prophetic words, O holy God, O mighty God, O immortal God, that is my belief, which I confess with heart and mouth and have witnessed before the church in water baptism. Faithfully, graciously keep me in till my end, I pray thee. And though I be driven from it by human fear and terror, by it, by tyranny, pangs, sword, fire, and water, yet hereby I cry to thee, O merciful Father, raise me up again by the grace of the Holy Spirit, and let me not depart in death without this faith. This I pray thee from the bottom of my heart through Jesus Christ, the best beloved Son, our Lord and Savior. For in thee, O Father, I hope, let me not put my shame in eternity. Amen. Wow. So he's in prison the second time. Uh, well, I mean, he's in prison and like thrown back in, in the a tower. Um, and they basically had him confess uh by torture, so he kind of gave up a little bit, and uh, which which is kind of crazy. But um, hold on, real quick, I wanted to read about the end. So, um, so basically, they asked him to write one more time. Um. And confess. And this is what he wrote. If I can find it. Here we go. I may err, I'm a man, but a heretic I cannot be because I am constantly for, uh, but I ask constantly for instruction on the word of God. But never has anyone come to me and pointed out a single word, but one single man and his followers against his own previous preaching, word and print, whose name I spare for the sake of God's word. In other words, <laughs> yeah, who against common justice and appeal in, uh, in behalf of his own government, the Confederacy, and also the emperor by capture, imprisonment, suffering, and the hangman tried to teach me the faith, but faith is a work of God and not of the heretic's tower in which one sees neither sun nor moon and lives on nothing but bread and water. O oh God, pardon my weakness. It is good for me, as David said, that thou hast humbled me. Mm. <laughs> so that's his confession. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Which is pretty crazy. Um, but then he's captured again. Uh, and, and long story short, um, He's, he's put to death by, by setting on fire. Um, and I when this is the eyewitness account. An eyewitness account of Hubmeyer's execution was given by Stephen Sprugel, dean of the philosophical faculty at the University of Vienna. Hubmeyer said, uh, Hubmeyer, he said, was fixed like an immovable rock in his heresy. <laughs> <laughs> With his wife exhorting him to fortitude, he was taken to the place of execution. When the company reached the pile of, of logs, he cried out in a Swiss dialect, O oh, gracious God, forgive my sins, 
uh, in my great torment. To the people he said, O oh, dear brothers, if I have injured any in word or deed, may he forgive me for the sake of my merciful God. I forgive all those who have done me harm. While his clothes are being removed, from thee also, O oh Lord, were, the, were thy clothes stripped. My clothes will I gladly leave here. Only uh, preserve my spirit and my soul, I beseech thee. Then he added in Latin, O Lord, into thy hands I commend my spirit, and spoke no more Latin. As they rubbed sulfur and gunpowder into his beard, which he wore rather long, he said, O salt me well, salt me well. <laughs> and raising his head, he called out, O dear brothers, pray God will give me patience in this my suffering. Oh my. As his beard and hair caught fire, he cried out, O Jesus, Jesus, and suffering from the smoke, he died. Three days later, the execution of his wife by drowning, and Dunbar followed. Man, it is amazing what uh, what kind of circus we've had in our history. Yeah, it is. It's incredible. But you know what's what's amazing to me is this guy. I mean, his story um, is is just so powerful. His, his most famous quote is truth is immortal. Hmm. And that's, that's the, the, the quote I want to put on a t-shirt. Truth is immortal. It's just genius with a picture of him. Yeah. But you know, his, his story is just, is so powerful because here's a guy that was like, I mean, a fake, a liar. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, he and, and using religion as a, a fast track for fame and fortune yeah. until God gets a hold of his life and he ends up. It's very Pauline up, in its in its structure, right? Dying for his faith and man, his his writing is just so confrontational <laughs> and genius. You know what I mean? It's it's just incredible. So. Anyways, uh, we'll stop with him for the day, and I know we've taken up so much time, but um, uh, it's interesting, so the Anabaptist though. movement does not die with with Dr. Balshazar. It, it just grows, and the reason is, is because his writing um, was, just like Luther in the Reformation, scattered all across Switzerland, and nothing Ferdinand could do or Zwingli could do could put it out. It, it was pretty incredible. Um, his story. So, well, thanks for all your study on it. It's uh, sure, man. That I can tell you've really dove into <laughs> this I love, movement I like love crazy. These guys, they're incredible. Like the story is just unbelievable. But, uh, Awesomeness, powerful. All right. Well, you want to go ahead and uh, get out? Do you have your uh, script with you? Yeah. Hold on, real quick. Go ahead. All right, here we go. The Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network using new media and social networking to go into the world and proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more, go to gctnetwork.com. Visit us on our website at theonautspodcast.com for show notes and outlines. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast uh, catcher. And be sure to rate us because that helps us lead, uh, reach an au- a larger audience. There are several ways you can contact us and leave us feedback. Send us email to theonauts at gctnetwork.com or call us on our voicemail line, which is 
885-7270. So you can follow us on uh, Instagram at Theonauts or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Theonauts. If you like us and want even more Theonauts, drop us a buck or two at patreon.com slash Theonauts. Your patronage helps us in our expenses like hosting fees and equipment costs. Don't forget to tune in again and explore the vast reaches of God's Word with us. All right, Jeremiah, thanks for being here, brother. Thank you, Dave. All right, God bless. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. We'd love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your Great Commission. This is your Great Commission Transmission. At GCTNetwork.com. Transmission. This is your great commission transmission. Come together.